but Shama, but Shama. I don't know that you would have, maybe you would sit there and say, I've never heard a message titled this. Well, maybe you've never been to a church like this. So, so work with me, but we're going to, we're going to talk about Shama. If you have your Bible, you can turn to second Samuel 23. And let me just say this, as we set this up, if you don't have your Bible, your iPad or your phone, you can look along on the screen. But before we read the text for today, I have never been, I've been here 10 and a half years and through all of the seasons of Raina and I and Chelsea and Dylan being here beachside, I don't know that I've ever felt more in my heart that God has placed us here on purpose than now. I mean, some of the things I've been through over the last couple of months and some of the things I've experienced and, and the everyday conversations I have with people and, and, and understanding where our community is, I believe with all of my heart, we are smack dab right where God wants us for such a time as this, sitting in the middle of a harvest. So I got a question for you. Are we telling people about Jesus? You might say, well, Jason, that's your job. No. The Bible says my job is to provoke you, provoke you, to agitate you, to agitate you. That's my job, biblically saying. And so I I am so, so taken by the idea of God placing us in the middle of a harvest field. And when I say harvest field, I mean in the middle of people that Jesus died for who have not heard the message of Jesus yet. We support missionaries. We try to tithe to our missionaries. We have a goal to do that here at Coastline. And, and so we do have people all over this world who are ministering to different people groups. I'm going to Thailand here in a few weeks to preach to a bunch of missionaries for a few days. And that's great. But I would submit to you that we live in a world today where you can go pump gas down the street. And there may be someone who lives in Thailand that knows more about Jesus than the person pumping gas next to you. So what are we doing about it? What, what are we really doing about it? Because I believe with my heart that, that God has placed us here for such a time as this, right in the middle of a harvest, and people need to know Jesus Christ. They need to understand the good news, and they need to know the peace that you and I have through knowing God, through knowing Jesus. So here we go. We'll draw a parallel from the Old Testament. Remember, anytime you read the Old Testament, you read it through a New Testament lens, correct? So here we go. Second so, uh, Samuel 23, 11, 12. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi, the Herite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a change agent. It's alive. It's living. It's active. Lord, help me get out of the way so you can get in the way today. God, change our hearts and give us a burden for this community, even stronger than we already have. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we go, but Shama, number one, the enemy always prefers intimidation slash fear as a weapon to keep us from realizing God's harvest in us and around us. That quite possibly is the longest point I have ever written. But I couldn't get away from it. Like I tried to shorten that one. That's what I was trying to say. And so that's, that's what I wrote. The enemy always prefers intimidation slash fear as a weapon to keep us from realizing God's harvest in us and around us. Let me set this up for you. Let me, let me set up what's going on right now. Israel is oppressed by the, uh, by the enemy, by the Philistines. And so they, they would 
plant their fields, they would grow their crops, and when it was time for a harvest, the Philistines, the enemy, and remember when you read the Old Testament, you read it through a New Testament lens, so when we talk about the enemy of God's people, we have a new enemy today, his name's Satan, so we'll call him what's-his-face, we won't even say his name again, and so, so what would happen is they would work the field, they would plant the field, plow it, plant it, make sure, they would pray for rain, the harvest would come up, and then in would come the hordes of Philistines, and they would take what God's people had worked for. And it became such a, a joke that God's people would profess the power of God, yet when, when the, uh, the armies and the people of the Philistines would show up, they would flee. It became such a joke that the Philistines, if you read the Moabite Raiders and you read all through the Old Testament, they stopped even bringing weapons because they knew God's people weren't going to fight. They would come in hordes, and all they would bring was harvesting equipment. They would bring their sickles. They would bring their, their wheelbarrows, if you will, because they knew no one was going to stand up. And they, they, they've been eating, drinking, being merry all the while. The, the Israelites, God's children, are growing these fields, and then they would come in and take the harvest. So that's where we find Shammah. And so when I talk about fear and intimidation, 2311, we just read it. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi, the Herite. Go back, please. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled. Why is it important for us to take notice that the enemy always prefers intimidation and fear? Because the Bible says, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. So you look at this next verse in Isaiah, no weapon forged against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. So why is it important to understand that it's intimidation and fear the enemy tries to use because the Bible says no weapon formed against us will prosper. Intimidation and fear is a weapon we allow the enemy to use on us. Intimidation and fear is like getting mugged and you have a gun on you and you taking the gun out and throwing it at the guy that's mugging you saying, take my money. See, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Yes, there's a weapon for me. But so what the enemy does is he plays off off of our weakness. And so the battle goes on up here. And so fear and intimidation is a huge tactic. You read the Old Testament into the New Testament. The enemy only has so many tricks up his sleeve. He only has so many lies. And one of those is, is to get us, even as Christians, to live in the realm of fear. What if? To live in the realm of intimidation. Well, God, I'm not going to do anything else for you because I keep going through all of this warfare in my life. So I'm going to hide myself. I'm still saved. I still got my get out of hell free card, but I'm not going to do anything for you because I'm sick and tired of fighting back against it. And so we begin to fear things in our life. And we play this mental gymnastic game between our ears, in our mind, the battlefield of the mind, if you will. And the enemy plays off of our humanity and leads us. So that's what the Philistines were doing. They were coming in hordes. They were coming in massive groups of people. And the Israel, the children of God, the Israelites, would see them coming and they would flee. Listen, you don't have to live in fear. Look at this next scripture. I'm going to throw a lot at you today. So if you lead a life group, take notes. If you take notes, either way. Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
That is the God of the universe. That is the creator of everything that we know. Everything we see, we touch, we smell, we feel, everything we experience. That is the God who created all of that. That's the God who flung the stars into existence, that carpeted the fields with grass, that make the lilies grow. That's the God we just dedicated Ruby to. That's the God who looks out for us. That's the God, our shield. That's the God, our helper. That's the God, our mighty God, the I am, the one that was, the one that is, the one that is to come. That God says, do not fear, I am with you. Young people in this room right now, about to go off to college, or maybe you're in high school, listen to me. God is on your side. He's not looking out to help you trip. He's looking out to help you from keep tripping. And so, in many terms, and so this this whole idea of God being with you, do not be dismayed. For I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, when you understand God being on your side, then you you live in a certain way with a certain swagger. Right? Any of you ever seen Parks and Rec? Highly recommended. Anyway, okay, never mind. But, but when, you, when you wake up every day realizing God's on your side, and you go to him in prayer, no matter what's going around you, no matter what situation you're going through, you don't have to give in to the intimidation and fear of what if, what if this happens? Well, I know God's on my side. I know the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. I know he has plans for me, plans to prosper me and not harm me, plans to give me a hope and a future. I know that the God of all is on my side. So whatever comes my way today, I know it came through him first. Therefore, I know I can handle it and I don't have to fear it. Wow. Look at this next scripture right here. Hebrews 13, 6. So we say with confidence. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So we say with what? Confidence. So we say with confidence. So this idea of confidence, not pridefulness, but confidence. We say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I could take you to a Bible I have shoved away in my office and point to a scripture and a date where God delivered me from having to have the approval of man. It's not that I don't care what you think because most of you like me and some of you love me and, and you know, I, I want to hear what you think about certain things, but I don't care more about what you think than what he says about me. You, you, there are so many Christians who live in fear of what people think about them, are in fear of what people can say about them, are in fear of an email that can be said. I mean, in fear of what posts someone may put on Facebook about them, in fear. And God says, hey, I can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? If you lead a business or you're a leader in any capacity, I'm telling you, you need to get along with God and you need to settle it between you and God. whether you want his approval or man's approval because there's days upon days upon days where you have to make that choice. Do I care more about what man says about me or do I care more about what God says about me in this book? So, fear and intimidation. Number two, there's only nine points. You should come to Saturday night service because there's no time limit. I had nine points last night. I'm just kidding, I didn't. Same message. 
Shama's passion positioned him in the middle of the harvest. 2 Samuel, the second part of verse 12, chapter 23, or the first part. But Shama took his stand in the middle of the field. But Shama. So let's play it out. They've planted this field. This Here we go again. Here comes the, the enemy. The, the, the troops flee. But here is Shama. And the Bible says he took his stand in the middle of the field. Passion is a root word of compassion. You can't have passion. You can't be passionate about something without caring about it. You look at Jesus in Matthew 9, Matthew 9, 35 through 38, says Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Stop right there. Like sheep without a shepherd. We know that Jesus uses the metaphor many times, being the good shepherd and the good, the sheep know the good shepherd's voice. We talked about that last week. And so what's happening here is Jesus is modeling compassion on the harvest, being people. And he looks upon the crowds and he has compassion on them. In other words, he sees something worth giving his life to. He sees a harvest there, and as he has, he's, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're just running awry. They're, they're, they're running amok. And, and he turns to the disciples and he says, listen, go, go to verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. What do we see here? We see Jesus had compassion leading to compassion. And so the metaphor we're drawing from Shama is Shama had passion and his passion positioned him in the middle of the harvest. His passion for what he knew was God's. Now, I've never been in the military, never done, read many uh, war books or, or war, how you do war or whatever war. I just know if somebody's trying to shoot me, I'm going to shoot back at them and hopefully they miss. But, but if I'm Shama and I look around and everyone else has left, I'm like, okay, well, God, I know you've called me to protect this harvest, but I'm probably going to get on the edge of the field right? I'm probably going to get on the edge of the field, pull out my knife and hide in a tree. And maybe a couple of them come by and you, whatever Shama had. And, and then, you know, you, you probably get taken out by the, but Shama, no, he, his passion, his passion. And remember what we're talking about today, that harvest, the field represented what God had given them, represented the land that God had given them, represented what they had worked for. It belonged to God. And my friend, you and I, and the people that we come across in this community every day of our lives is the harvest of God. Don't think you're special just because you finally heard the good news. God loves the crackhead under the bridge just as much as he loves you. He is not a respecter of persons. So his passion led him, led him to put himself in the middle of the harvest. So I got a question for you. Does your daily habits lead you to putting you in the middle of the harvest, the middle of lost people, in the middle of people who are hurting? So he, he takes his stand in the middle of the field. Let's go to the next one. Number three, Shama defended the field he was responsible for. Second Samuel 23, second part of verse 12, he defended it. So he defended it. The, the point here, 
He, Shaman defended the field he was responsible for. I'm not responsible for another church up the street. I'm not responsible for someone. You're not responsible for people in North Carolina unless you go to North Carolina a lot. You're not responsible. You are responsible for the community that God placed you in. You're responsible to tell people, your neighbors in the community that he placed you in. I was just talking to a couple before this service and they said, we know God told us to buy this house and they moved into this house and having a few problems right now. Well, they, I said, well, look, God told you to do it. They know their way. We live, listen, you live where you live on purpose if you're a child of God. Because the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. And so, so Shama defended the field that he was responsible for. It is incumbent upon us as Christians to defend people, to love people, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. First Peter 5, 8, why is it important? It says, be, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You take that thought, and if you were here three or four weeks ago, I preached out of this text. It was around the message, and I did the whole animal channel illustration. I'm not going to get on my hands and knees and crawl like a lion again. But Sorry if you missed it. I will tell you this. In one of the services, I was on my hands and knees crawling, and I was acting like I was about to pounce, and I look over at my wife, and she goes, kidding me right now i could not look at her the rest of the message i was like you know how do you recover from that i'm like god bless but but think about this come on come back come back think about this think about what it would be like to do life every day beachside without god no, knowing what we know, knowing the enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking those he can devour. What, 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 what would it be like to live everyday life with no eternal hope, with no plumb line, with no absolute truth, with this idea of just get all you can because this is all there is to it? What would it be like to live a life of trying to fill that void inside of you with things of this world. And the more you try to fill that void, the more they just bring destruction upon you. What would it be like to go home to a spouse who is just as lost as you are and you look at each other with hollow eyes and there's really nothing there. So you go looking somewhere else. See, I have a question for you. Do we even care anymore? Do we really care? Do, are, are we so busy and so good at doing our life? And I did my devotion today. I prayed. Did, Shama put it, he defended the field that he was responsible for. I love the message translation in Psalms. It's 82, 3 and 4. You're here to defend the defenseless, to make sure that underdogs get a fair break. Your job is to stand up for the powerless and prosecute all those who exploit them. Spiritually speaking, reading the Old Testament through a New Testament lens, that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. And he left the truth here with his disciples. He said, he, who then took 
at that time to the known world, the gospel, the saving grace, this new grace. And now 2,000 years later, it's still the same grace. It's still the same power. It's still the same Christ. There is one mediator between God and mankind, and it is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Shama put in, first of all, he didn't run. Everybody else ran, but he didn't run. And then he puts himself in the middle of the field. Duh. And then he defends it. He he defends the field because he cares for it. He cares for it. And so let's just, let's take a sidebar for a second and think about this. Because when you read the Bible, you you can't just read it. You got to read it, read it. You got to read it like you're watching a movie. You got to read it like you're watching a movie on Netflix and something really good happens. You can rewind it. And watch it again and rewind it. And watch it again and rewind it. Yep, his head came off. That was awesome. I'm just. <laughs> There's no antibiotic for that. When you read the Bible, you got to read, read it in real time. So here's Shama. What led him to stand? What led him to get so bold with confidence that he, he said, you know what? Bump this. You guys can run. I'm sick of running. What led him to that? I have my own theory. And here's, here's where I go with this. I go to Shama's bedroom, and I go to Shama's dad at 4.30 a.m. knocking the door open, hey, boy, go check on that field. Dad, it's 4.30. God's not even up yet. Those beans aren't going to grow themselves. Go check on that field. See, I tend to think Shama was in the heat plowing. I tend to think Shama was there when the seeds were planted. I tend to think Shama sat around the family dinner table and play, prayed for rain so rain would fall on that field. I tend to think that Shama was out there pulling the weeds out from around the, the beans so the beans could grow. And so I believe there was some blood, sweat, and tears in that field for Shama. And there was some ownership in that field. And that ownership led him to say, you know what? Bump this. I'm not running anymore. You guys do whatever you want to. I work this field. Either God's God or he isn't. I'm going to stand in the middle of the harvest and I'm going to defend it. How does that break down for us? God says we are in the middle. I believe we're living in the last days. I don't think you read Daniel, Ezekiel, Revelation and watch the news without thinking, you know, I don't have time to go into all. I believe with all my heart we're living in the last days. And so you take that and think, okay, well, I'm, I'm here to defend. I'm here to share Jesus Christ with people. Hey, listen, if we're not telling people about Jesus, who is? Think about it for a second. Who's telling your coworkers about Jesus? And remember last week, don't go. I'm not talking about going into work. Turn or burn. Hell is hot. You're terrible. Don't. Remember. Call security right now. I'm just talking about building a bridge. I'm talking about building a bridge to people. I'm talking about loving people. I'm talking about being in that, that state of, hey, find out what kind of coffee they like. Buy them a cup of coffee. Like, get, build a bridge to tell someone about you. Defend them spiritually. That's how it breaks down with Shama. Take ownership because God says, I sent my only son. God has some ownership in this community because it's full of people that his son died for. Jesus got in the middle of the field of humanity. And then he leaves the good news with us. And I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable. Actually, I'm not. I hope it makes you super uncomfortable. 
I hope it provokes you to tell someone about Jesus this week. I hope it, it, it reminds you that you, if you're at peace with God, what a privilege that is. You found Jesus, so you're at peace with God. You've been justified in the eyes of God, and you've been granted an access into this grace in which we now stand. That's what Romans 5 says. If you found Jesus, you stand in that grace. What about the people around you who haven't? What about those people? Shama stood in the middle, and he, he, defended, he defended the harvest. Number four, Shama fought back. Second Samuel, third part of verse 12, and struck the Philistines down. So now he doesn't run. He positions himself in the middle of the field. He gets ready to defend the field. He doesn't, he doesn't defend it in a defeated posture. He strikes a blow. He, he fights back. He, it says he struck the Philistines down. We're talking about crazy faith here, right? We're talking about, we're talking about, look, either you're God or you're not. Either God, you're going to help me do this or I'm going to die. But either way, I'm going out believing you're God. God honors crazy faith. God honors people who will get in, in the, in the river and say, God, it's not dry yet. It's still flowing, but I'm going to get in anyway and I'm going to trust you to stop those waters. He honors people who step out biblically to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, he honors that. And so now we have Shama and he's fighting. He's fighting. And I love this. I love this picture of fighting for the harvest because I get so, so upset with people and, and their, their rendition of Jesus. You ever seen this picture of Jesus and he's got this little oily curly hair and he weighs about a buck 30. You've seen that picture, hadn't you? That's not Jesus. That's not the one who went to the temple and drove everybody out. The Bible says his dad was a carpenter. You know what furniture was made out of in those days? Stone. You ever seen a stonemason's arms? They look nothing like mine. <laughs> Shama, standing in the middle of the harvest. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. How do we fight back? Well, look at this. First of all, we've got to know what we're fighting. Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. For our struggle. That word struggle in its original text means battle war. That, so our battle, our war, is not against flesh and blood. But Although I've been in some churches where you would think it was. <laughs> That's a different story. But against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil, evil in the heavenly realms. I'm going to say two words, and for some of you, you're going to go, ugh. Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Don't allow some cracked out, goofy, weird people saying things in the name of the Lord to keep you from understanding that spiritual warfare is real. Now, you don't have to go looking for a demon under every rock, and every time you catch a red light, which is about to be yellow, it's not the devil's fault. They're on timers. <laughs> okay? Your tire went flat because it was full of air, and you ran over a nail. Things happen. The idea is, but we do need to understand, who are we fighting? 
There is a war going on. There is a spiritual battle going on. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a battle going on. There's a fight going on. There's a fight for your soul going on. There's a fight for the harvest of this community going on. Some of you in here are in law enforcement. And, and I have lunch with some of you sometimes and talk to you sometimes in the stories. You tell me what, what's going. Some of you who live in your nice little hunky-dory life where nothing's wrong, you, you are living right two doors down from a heroin addict. You're living three doors down for someone who beats their spouse. No, not in my neighborhood. I'm going to call the HOA. We live in a a dark world. Powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces. Well, how do we fight back? Look at this next scripture. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. One of the ways we fight back is through prayer. Prayer is the vehicle that moves God's hand. Prayer is the weapon that God has given us that is most unused. Prayer. Crying out to God. For the weapons that we fight with are not carnal. They're not of this world, but they're mighty for the pulling down. They're divine. They're mighty for not for getting you through the day, not for just helping you another day to be sober, not just helping you another day to stop having an affair, not just getting by to demolish, to obliviate, to put into dust, to make go away forever. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a belief or a thought, any pretentious belief or thought that exalts itself against the name and the word of God. That's a stronghold. So if if a lie of the enemy takes deep root in my heart and I begin to believe that lie, that lie turns into a stronghold. That stronghold turns into a habit. That habit turns into a way of life. That way of life leads me down a wide path, not a narrow path, a wide path to destruction. So, so how do we not do that? We pray. We, our weapon, we pray. So I got I, I ask you this question, do we even care? And here's another one for you. Who's praying? Who, who's really praying? I mean, I don't know about you, but there are days where I wish I had a, a, a what's his face gun. I wish I had a devil gun because I'm so sick of them being on my back. Wouldn't it be cool if you could stop off at a gun shop, buy a devil gun, and let's, I'll tell you what, let's just sell them at gas stations. And so you go, you grab one, right, like you're filling up with gas, and you turn, and you're like, and he goes away forever. Well, let me tell you, he has been defeated. The war's been won. The battle rages. There's a difference between a war and a battle. In the Civil War, there were... The war was over and there were battles that continued because they had not got word yet that the war was over. You ever been to a chicken farm? I'm going to get in trouble for this. I had not told this story in years, about six and a half years. You ever been to a chicken farm? Have you been to a chicken farm? My uncle raised hogs and chickens. And you say whatever you want to. Don't send me any emails. That's how they ate. So if you're against people eating, that's your problem. So I remember it was, it was like one, it's like Memorial Day or 4th of July or something. And so we, we go and we, we go there and my family's around and my uncle Charles, I see him and my dad whispering over there and my uncles and I, I couldn't have been more than seven years old, six or seven years old. And, and so he's boys, come here, pick a chicken out. She's like, I like that one. I'm thinking he's going to give me a pet. Yeah. So he, he grabs a chicken, 
<laughs> I'm just telling you what, this is my childhood. He puts the chicken down, grabs a hatchet, and just like, wham! And when he cuts the chicken's head off, you ever heard like a chicken with its head cut off? Okay. When he cuts the chicken's head off, he looks at my dad and winks and let's go. And that chicken man, for about eight seconds, took off. Just <gasps> terrified. Terrified. Like, oh my goodness, this chicken's running around. Till by the eight second mark, he's like, eh. Dinner. Winner, winning. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah. Well, I got to hurry up. Why do I say that? I say that because at the cross, the enemy's head was cut off. But we still live in a fallen world. The war has been won. He has been defeated. We win. Read the whole book. Yet we still live in a fallen world where he's running around in the last eight seconds of his existence wreaking havoc on humanity. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine powers to demolish strongholds. So we know what we're fighting. We know how to fight. A good example of this is Daniel. Daniel, and this is the Bible. Remember, we're reading the Holy Scriptures of God. This actually happened. So here's Daniel in a foreign land. Every day he's opening his windows towards his homeland and he's praying. He's praying for revelation, praying to God to hear him. He's praying, 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 praying. An angel shows up. Then he continued, this is an angel talking, do not be afraid, Daniel. And isn't it amazing that every time an angel shows up in the Bible, they have to say, <laughs> and we, we teach our kids that angels have fat bellies, like, and they sit in the flower beds, or they shoot someone with an arrow of love. Yeah, no, that's not angels. They're my unbelievable creatures. Every time they show up in the Bible, they have to say, hey, chill out, dude. It's okay. Relax. I'm not here to hurt you. Since the, first, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. Since the first day, in other words, since the first day that you set your mind on God, you are really God. I understand that and I'm going to cry out to you for understanding. I need to know what's going on here. Verse 13. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. You can't get TV this good. Listen to the story. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, archangel, then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the visions concerning you for a time yet to come. But I was detained there with the king of Persia. So you're like, okay, the king actually came out and detained the, the angel. No, this is really happening. This is the heavenly realms that Ephesians is talking about. This is what Corinthians is talking about. There is a spiritual war going on. And the weapon that God has chosen to give us, one of them, is prayer. On the first day that Daniel started praying, the angel said, we heard you. We heard your prayer. On the first day, we heard your prayer. But I got held up. I got held up because the, the, the prince, the evil, the darkness that's over the region that you're in was battling me because he knew that if I got you, I was going to answer your prayers. So I had to call for backup. I had to, this, people, this is real. And, and, and I, know, I know that it's much easier to go to a church and to go through rituals and do certain things and feel good about yourself and leave there and live however you want and never think about things like this. But that's not the Bible I read. 
That's not the abundant life that God offers, and that's not the way, the way, the truth, and the life. So, so here we have this reality of Dan- he prayed for 21 days. What am I trying to tell you? Prayer is important. Prayer is important. If you're doing communion, you can be dismissed. Last thing. Shama's willingness to trust God brought about a great victory. Shama's willingness to trust God brought about a great victory. Shama's willingness to trust God brought about a great victory. Because I know some of you can't pay attention because people are walking past you. <laughs> Last part, verse 12, 2 Samuel 23, and the Lord brought about a great victory. It doesn't say Shama brought about a great victory. It says the Lord brought about a great victory. Trust is an interesting word because trust has levels. Isn't that true? You trust people on different levels, don't you? And the, and the enemy loves to, to, to have our trust misused because when people misuse our trust that, that we should have been able to trust, we then, we then look at God and say, well, God, they let me down, so you're going to let me down. So trust has different levels. All right, I'm going to trust you a little bit, but I'm going to hold this back. Or I'm going to trust you like midway, or I'm going to hold this back. Shama got in the middle of the field and said, either God, you're God, or you're not. I'm going to trust you with everything. And because Shama willingly trusted God, the Lord brought about a great victory. You think about this. How did he do that? John 3.30 says this. He must become greater. I must become less. He must become greater. I must become less. He must become greater. I must become less. In other words, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. Shama said, you know what? I'm going to put myself in the middle of the harvest, God, because I know this is your field, this is your harvest. I'm going to come, become less so you can become more, God. Are we doing that in our everyday life? Because I would submit to you, when the world sees you become less, with love, with kindness, with a servant's heart, Jesus is lifted up. So am I becoming less or am I too important? Am I becoming less so he can become greater? We think about victory and we think about the Lord bringing about a great victory. God did, did that for us. Jesus did for that, that for us at the cross. Look at this last scripture right here. But thanks, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God, he gives us our victory through the Lord Jesus Jesus Christ. There is one mediator between God and man, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. All roads do not lead to heaven. If you believe the Bible, which we do at Coastline, all roads, and I honestly believe there's a day coming where I may get in trouble for saying that. And that's a sad thing. But that's what my Bible tells me, and this is the plumb line of my life. Jesus says, I am the way, and I have victory. I have victory over circumstance, and I have eternal victory through what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. So we're about to have communion. Here's a question. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you have eternal victory? Maybe... Maybe you're part of that harvest I've been talking about, like several people last night and several people in the early service this morning that needed Jesus in their life. They needed a change. They needed God to do something in their heart. Maybe, maybe you've been looking for someone to come stand in the middle of your field of life and help defend you. Can I tell you, Jesus did that for you? Jesus did that for you. Not for the person sitting down the row from you. He did it for you. So do you know Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? 
Do you have victory for eternal life? Do you know, are you at peace with God? I guess is the question. Are you at peace with God? Or do you know, do you feel a tugging on your heart? Do you know that you know that you're not right with God? The Bible says the only way to have peace with God is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a faith, salvation's a faith issue. It's you taking your faith and putting it in Jesus. No one can do that for you. It's personal. Would you bow your head all over this place before we have communion? You say, Jason, that's me. That's me. I need to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I feel him dealing with my heart right now. If that's you and you say, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. Will you just slip your hand up long enough for me to say, I see it. I see it. I see your hand. I see your hand. Just slip it right back down. It's awesome. Anyone else? You know that you know this. I see your hand. This is not a motion. This is just you and God right now. You and God. I need Jesus in my life. You raised your hand. I want to pray with you. When we're done with service today, please come up to the table or the tent and get a Bible or a devotion. But right now, right where you sit, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving me and thank you for chasing me. And right now, God, I accept your gift of salvation. And I put my faith in Jesus. At this very moment, I believe and confess in my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe and confess that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. I believe he lived a sinless life. I believe he took my death and sin on the cross. I believe he was placed in a grave and I believe he rose from that grave on the third day. And I believe he's coming back for me one day. So right now at this very moment, God, just between you and me, God, just between you and I, I accept your forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you for your loving arms. Thank you that you're filling that void with your love and your grace and your mercy that I've been trying to fill with things of this world. And thank you most of all for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.